data brokers. They seem to occupy one of those shadowy corners of life that people really don't want to think about. Where does your data go when you impatiently click OK on one of those software license agreements or when you sign on to another convenient online service? Who owns this data? What can they do with it? Who can they sell it to? And maybe worse of all, how can this data be used or even built on to create untrue yet still convincing information about you? This is the Talus Security Sessions Podcast. I'm Steve Prentice. To understand what we need to know about data brokers, it is my pleasure to welcome Justin Sherman, founder and CEO of Global Cyber Strategies. He is not only an expert in this area, but his research department delivers groundbreaking information on this issue, and he is regularly called upon to testify to branches of government to assist in the formation of policy and laws. Justin, welcome to the Talus Security Sessions podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, Justin, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about here with regards to data just as a single concept, a single word. I mean, in some regards, it's considered to be like the new oil or the new machinery or fuel that runs the entire planet. I know some people will disagree with that metaphor, but there's no question about it that data is everything that we do. And of course, there are data brokers who use or maintain this information on our behalf. So perhaps we can start by looking at these people who are in the middle of all the transactions that we do, these people that we call data brokers. How would you explain what data brokers are in terms of their relationship to the kind of things that organizations and people do in their day-to-day activities? Data brokers are essentially companies involved in the business of collecting and aggregating and selling data. And so uh, there are a variety of different companies within this industry. Um, this is a multi-billion dollar global industry uh, from Singapore to India to China to the U.S. to Brazil and so on. Uh, and there are thousands of companies involved. So different companies do different things. This ranges from when we say collecting and selling data, large consumer credit reporting agencies that folks may be familiar with that track credit scores that uh, might be involved with employment background checks and the like, all the way to smaller companies that very few members of the public have ever heard of who specialize in particular areas that might be selling political data to political campaigns, uh, to do ads, to do targeting that could be collecting location data to sell location data for uh, everything from intelligence uh, activities all the way to you know following people as they go to their schools and their health clinics to learn about them. So um, a really wide industry, but again, that's sort of the core uh, distinction, I would say, is it's really about collecting and aggregating and then at the end of that selling the data or selling insights into the data. Now, clearly, this is important material in terms of an individual's personal data and everything else that you said, background checks and all that kind of thing. So given that it is global, I mean, just because an organization works out of China or Brazil, obviously, the world is still their oyster in terms of collecting data in any language and selling it elsewhere. So is it sufficiently regulated across these borders? Is this an issue that has been set up by countries to regulate the access and the power of these data brokers? Or is it still a kind of a Wild West situation? It's pretty much a wild west. There are uh, a few regulations in some areas. For example, uh, companies doing credit reporting 
uh, in, in many countries have regulations in terms of letting people access the data held about them or letting them correct uh, the data about them. For instance, if I go in and have a lower credit score than I should because maybe uh, they have bad information about a loan payment or something like that, right? So, um, you know, so there's some regulation in those areas, but by and large, uh, there are virtually no, or in some cases, literally no uh, regulations and laws around the world on things like collecting and selling phone location data. Um, and, and this is for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, as, as we well know, policymakers and politicians are sometimes uh, catching up right on new tech trends. And so there's, there's that general issue. But I would say here, one thing that is distinct, I think, with data brokers um, and some other related issues is that when we talk about who's collecting our data, where does our data go? What are the privacy risks? What are the hacking risks? We often focus on the consumer's relationship, our relationship with an app or a website or a company that we directly interact with, right? So we'll say, Facebook's on my phone. When I make a Facebook account, here's what it collects. Or we'll say, if I use Uber and I'm getting picked up from X location, then the company knows that that's where I'm located and so on. And that's an important conversation. But what that often loses uh, from a policy standpoint is what happens to the data once it's held by that company. And that's where we get into this space where a lot of the time, you know, companies are not doing anything with it. They're keeping it, they're using it internally, they're doing, you know, fairly controlled, responsible things with it. And there's plenty of other cases where the data is getting shared and sold with other companies, with other parties. Um, and that's really where we touch this data broker industry that we're talking about today. So we can look at this from, let's say, the responsibility of, of governments of various countries to maybe establish the regulations. But at the end of the day, if this is an individual person's data, then maybe they, we, have some responsibility about protecting this now. So is this even a fair question? Because as an individual consumer, if I want to get onto Facebook or if I want to sign up with an Uber type of service, I mean, I just want to get there and get going. So I click the button that says, okay, yes, whatever it says. I'm saying yes to the end user license agreements and all this kind of stuff that's done in capital letters so it's hard to read. And off we go because the impatience and the desire for the average person just to get going is obviously going to circumvent any home-based protections. So the data regarding where I can get picked up, let's say from an Uber or Lyft type organization is one thing. But where is the other stuff? I mean, can, can data brokers or those who purchase this data go beyond that? Can they extrapolate? Can they find other things that are hidden in or even assumed from my data? And could that take me as a consumer down a much more dangerous path? This is a really important question because it's hard to sometimes draw out the scale of this data collection that we're talking about. So as mentioned, you know, data brokerage, selling data, selling metadata, uh, and so on is a multi-billion, billions and billions of dollars uh, industry around the world. Um, you know, there are single companies in the U.S. and Europe and, and elsewhere that make billions of dollars alone a year just from doing this kind of thing. So it really is a large market. But when we talk about how much data, it's really hard to fathom. There are single companies that have data points on hundreds of millions or even billions of people around the world. And on each of those people, they might have anything from a few data points 
to several hundred or even over a thousand or more data points. And I want to just, and, and to your point, I think that's such an important thing to draw out and sort of want to sit with that for a second, because that's really an insane scale of data and, and a breadth and a depth of data that's hard to think about. And the the sort of alternative way of, of thinking about this, I often use with, with members of Congress and things like that is, well, if we all sat down in a circle and said, name 10 fun facts about yourself, right? Um you know, you could, we might panic, like I always get a little, what am I going to say? And right, you worry a little bit, but, but that's not going to be hard to come up with 10 things. If you sat around and said, name a thousand things about yourself, I think a lot of us would be, you know, we get to 30 or 40 or whatever number, and we'd be sitting there going, what am I going to write down? And so it really is a crazy amount of data. It's kind of a continuum of consciousness, I'd say. We probably are all aware of a thousand things about ourselves, but these are generally resident in memory rather than being on a list somewhere that you can easily call up until of course that day you finally find out that it is on a list somewhere so where does that leave me where does that leave the average person there is some level of individual action that can be taken uh in the scheme of things right you can imagine a system where individuals might choose to allow certain kinds of data to be sold about them because say they want ads or something like that and then a system when they they choose to not do that but putting the burden on the individual is really losing the scale of this data collection because as you said if every app and service i use makes me either agree to collect data how they want or not use it at all it's not really a viable option to say to people well don't use email then you know don't use social media don't use uber or lyft or ways or anything else that's sort of a ridiculous thing in this day to put that burden on the person which gets exactly to your second question which is that when we think about uh, and when i think about right the kinds of data that are out there about me i think about things i've typed in to a form right i think about well i gave this website my date of birth or i gave this website my mailing address or i think about okay, well, I use X streaming service. So maybe they know that I really like horror movies or that I'm I'm really into documentary TV shows, right? What we don't think about is how that allows companies to predict additional things about us. And data brokers do this all the time, right? If you, for instance, use a particular uh, religious app, right? You might use a Christian news app or a Muslim prayer app or so on, right? Just knowing if someone has that on their phone can reveal something as sensitive as religion, right? And so you may never have typed into a form anywhere that that's out there, but if that app sells a list of its users, then someone can learn perhaps somebody's religion. Same thing with a dating app, right? If I use an LGBTQ plus dating app, the mere fact of having that on my device is probably a very strong indicator of something like sexual orientation. So it's important to recognize that the scale of this kind of data sale is is enormous, and the kinds of data sold about us are, are probably far beyond what we'd expect. There's a division here that I'm picking up between real data, true data about myself, and extrapolated or manufactured data, which may or may not even be true. I mean, you know, if I investigated a Muslim prayer app because I'm interested in the technology being used, and all of a sudden that flags me as being part of a particular religion, I mean, this is incorrect by mistake. But as we're seeing with hallucinations in generative AI, there's a potential for a completely inaccurate information to be accepted as truth. And we're still only talking here about the legitimate data brokers. 
So this sounds like something new that people should be concerned about, not just simply the volume of information about them that is collected from numerous points, but the accuracy of that information. Oh, absolutely. It is difficult sometimes to assess whether or not data being sold is in fact accurate. You know, anecdotally, right? Probably most people have not done this, but just knowing lots of other, uh, you know, privacy nerds like myself, I have, I have plenty of friends who have gone and requested their own data from some of these companies and looked at it. And I encourage folks to do that. You know, it really varies, right? You might see things in there that are accurate, like, oh, I did in fact go to that university to study, or that was in fact my old apartment number or what have you, right? And then there might be things in there that are wrong. It might have an incorrect marital status, as someone was saying to me a few weeks ago. It might have, as you just said, maybe an inaccurate prediction or inference about someone's religion. And so um, it's it's certainly the case that that might not be correct. And I think to your point, the fact that there are more and more of these predictive uh, techniques means that even within predicted or inferred data, there's going to be a wide variety of accuracy um, because prediction, right, quote unquote, could include everything from the hypothetical we just named where looking at a download of a religious app or a, a queer app, you know, yes or no is used to decide yes or no is this person, this religion or the sexual orientation all the way to there are data brokers who will follow people's phone locations as they go around all day, 24-7, to infer things about those people. Uh, and so you can watch someone visit a health clinic. You can watch someone, you know, go to a bar or the children's school or what have you. And and again, that might be more accurate in some cases. That might be less accurate. If you're picking up a prescription for an older family member or you're dropping your neighbor's kid off at school, they might think you have children. So it's it's a really good point because it's it's varied in terms of accuracy, but um, you know, but both of those scenarios can create risks, right? There can be risks associated with knowing a lot of really intimate information about me and selling it without my knowledge. There can also be risks of having inaccurate information about me and selling it to a prospective employer or to a bank or someone else who might use it to make a decision based on inaccurate information. Yeah, and that's what was coming up to my mind as well as whether that decision is actually consciously made based on inaccurate information, or even if it is accurate or inaccurate, if I'm passed over for a job, you know, then I can turn around and sue the company for some sort of discrimination based on an inference that is in turn based on the fact that the data they may have about me includes research on any particular kind of app or data or location that I've been to. I see the same kind of liability here emerging towards organizations as you might see with regards to breaches and hacking today, where organizations are now, let's say, refusing to pay a ransom, then are facing legal ramifications for either not paying that ransom or not having sufficient foresight to protect themselves. So there's this whole sort of spin-off effect of danger to organizations based on whether this information is accurate or not. It's like some sort of almost enormous volcanic cloud, like a pyroclastic flow coming towards us that is indefinable, but is definitely tangibly dangerous. So what can organizations do to even consider how to protect themselves against all these kinds of ramifications that this kind of data might bring their way? I'd say probably at least two things. The first is that the quality of the data as we're as we're talking about can vary depending on a variety of things but heavily among others the source of the information and the way the information was obtained so as we just 
talked about if that, you know, if, if the way it's obtained is through inference or prediction, then that can vary widely in quality. Um, the original source is another thing, right? If, if a person inputs a particular data point into an app and then the app sells it, that could increase the likelihood that that information is correct. Maybe not, but, but it's, that's plausible, right? Versus if it's, you know, location data from a company that is not really triangulating location very well, it might be off by a number of feet. And actually, that's a whole other thing we could get into. And then within the location data broker space, there's a whole variety of, of things companies do to compete against one another to show that their location is the most accurate or it's it's reliable within X feeder meters or what have you. And so, but the second thing I would say is on on how organizations should think about this ostensibly organizations who might purchase this data or want to purchase this data, I think they should think about risks. There is, as you said, a potential liability in some countries associated with using incorrect data about certain things to make decisions. That can include employment, uh, for instance, if that results in discrimination. Uh, that can include hiring. Um, in the U.S., for example, there is a federal law, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that places restrictions on if you are selling data for the purposes of something like employment, uh, certain employment activities, that then has regulations upon it. Um, so organizations should look out for that. And I think just generally think about risk. We're seeing so much more attention to privacy risk, to cybersecurity risk, to the reputational risks as a company associated with abusing data uh, or, or using data in ways that consumers are unhappy with. Uh, and we've conversely seen organizations like Signal, companies like Apple, uh, get a ton of, of economic value out of leaning more towards privacy, of having more privacy protections. So those are the kinds of things, I think, at a high level that organizations need to think about, right? What is what is the legal risk, of course, and the regulatory risk, but what's your long-term strategic path? Are you going to become dependent on all of these third-party data sources and expose yourself to that reputational risk? Or... Are you going to figure out ways to continue to offer your services, continue to use data responsibly, and, and minimize that risk as much as possible? A lot of people, probably when they think about data brokers and the use and or potential abuse of data for numerous reasons, they're going to think about organizations like Cambridge Analytica. Now, is that a fair assessment for the average person to make that Cambridge Analytica is a typical example of mass collection of data for political purposes and demographic research? Is this organization representative of data brokers in general, or are they more like the black sheep of the family? Surely they're not the only ones playing this trade. Cambridge Analytica is certainly one thing that, that comes up time and time again talking about this industry. I think that Cambridge Analytica is an important case study because it demonstrates the potential harms associated with large-scale collection and, and sale and other things of data uh, in this case, in a political context. But Cambridge Analytica, I think, yeah, it, it shows, right, what happens when you have data at that scale about people and, uh, you know, purportedly anyway, how they think and how they would like to vote and their political beliefs. Again, it gets back to the scale of this collection is really, really hard to wrap your head around. And again, this is happening without people knowing it. And that's And that's one of the biggest things I think about this in a political context is political advertising obviously is not a new phenomenon, but 
in the past, running an ad on television uh, in many countries, right, that's required to be disclosed as a political campaign ad is very different than the kinds of online targeting we're seeing. I think what you've shown here, Justin, is exactly that. This is a, a grand, amazing demonstration of humans' capacity to be both amazingly creative and also amazingly predatory at the same time. And there's a lot of wake-up ideas or concerns in this shadowy area of data brokerage, which is just really not spoken about much as, let's say, cybercrime and breaches are, even though they are kind of related. So to conclude, is there any way that we can provide any kind of advice for listeners, both as individuals and also as security specialists themselves, to tackle this enormous problem? You know, whether it's a mechanical piece of advice, like a technology that they can use, or more of a political one as to how they could speak perhaps to senior management of, of their company. What would you want to tell people about how they can protect themselves against this, you know, enormous and unmanageable threat? Let's start with individuals. So depending on the country in which you're based, you may have some legal right around accessing or deleting or correcting some of the data that we mentioned that might be be sold. So the GDPR, there are plenty of gaps, right, but provides some rights around this. The state of California in the U.S. just passed another data broker-related law. There are comprehensive consumer privacy laws in Brazil, now India, right, the list goes on. So look at that and see, you know, what can you as an individual legally uh, require a company to do, whether that's provide you a look at data about you, maybe even stop them from from doing it. And there are some technological tools. One company, for instance, Delete Me, uh, is pretty well known around this issue. So what Delete Me does is it will try to help you for a fee, take down some of the personal information from your property records and whatnot that the brokers scrape and then sell on the internet. So there are some little things individuals can do. As I said, though, it really is a systemic problem. And so, um, you know, voicing concerns to your representatives and, uh, you know, writing in to support privacy bills and measures and cybersecurity bills and measures is really one of the best things you can do. And then from an organizational standpoint, uh, I, I think two things. One, as you said, articulating to upper management, what are the bottom line concerns about this kind of activity? And I think we hit on several today, right? Uh, legal exposure being one, that is always something uh, any company, especially a publicly traded company, is going to care about. What is the risk that uh, data we might be buying or, or acquiring else uh, in another way is used in a discriminatory fashion, is used in violation of a regulation, is uh, exposing us to litigation? That's an important question. And when you're dealing with data that your customers didn't directly give you, but you're getting from a third party, that is a very different kind of risk scenario than something, you know, a customer wrote down on a form and handed to you, uh, for instance. So think about how to articulate that in terms of the legal risk, but also reputational risk. And the second thing I'd say is every organization would benefit from just better understanding their data supply chain, better understanding where are we getting data from, where is data going, right? GDPR, for instance, in the EU requires companies to place uh, some cybersecurity controls on third-party vendors uh, in the contracts, right? So you sort of have to pass on cybersecurity protections in your, your vendor agreements. Look at that, right? There is a lot of data flow, again, that is not often thought about when companies use different applications, when they're using a cloud service, when they have a mobile app that links to a software development kit. And assessing that is really important to 
understand that first piece, that legal and reputational risk, those two categories of things are a good step. Justin Sherman, founder and CEO of Global Cyber Strategies. Where can people find you to learn more about you and what you do? You can uh, Google Global Cyber Strategies. We're a DC research and advisory firm. We work on these kinds of issues for clients. Um, and you can also just Google my name and data brokers and the, the research that uh, I do and the students on my team do at Duke University uh, will pop up if you just want to learn more and read more about this ecosystem and understand more about how your data might be affected. I am, of course, not unaware of the irony of concluding this podcast by asking how people can find you, because this is what it's all about. But, Justin, this has been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Talus Security Sessions podcast. Thanks so much, Steve. Remember, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend or a colleague or a client or all of them about the Talus Security Sessions podcast. We will be back again next month with another episode and another discussion on the topics that you need to know about to successfully carry on in the business of information security. Until then, I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening. <laughs>